Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy Tino and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. Seems like the only thing on people's minds today is inflation, so we'll kick off this episode with a conversation around how that might affect everyone. When we have some time, we'll also talk about the eighth item on Tino's list of top 10 biggest mistakes he's made on his way to becoming a professional investor. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss something on the show, please email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating. So Tino, inflation, it's on the minds of everybody. Well, uh, inflation, as uh, Milton Friedman once said, it's a monetary phenomenon. It just shows up sometimes. Uh, But if you look at what's kind of the underlying drivers of inflation right now, uh, look, we got a lot of money in the system right now. It's chasing too few goods and services. You know, on the demand side, look, I mean, the federal government increased the money supply by 25% last year. I mean, over the last year. I mean, that's an enormous number for something like the U.S. dollar. So you got a lot of money out there. Uh, and then you add on top of that, a lot of savings accounts are full because they weren't spending much money last year. We're starting to be released out into the economy right now like caged animals. And you've got supply problems right now. Supply chains across the world are feeling the feeling the heat. You know, Remy, I know you uh, you like to renovate houses for fun. Um, have you looked at lumber prices lately? Yeah, you can't buy a stick for uh, less than a small fortune. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm in the process of trying to buy a house right now. We thought about getting our floors replaced before we moved in, and the contractor told us not to do it. He's like, I, I actually can't get the lumber. It doesn't exist right now. I was actually just talking to someone that uh, has a relationship with an architect. And this guy has a uh, an office in China, and he's literally putting together an idea of of designing homes and putting together an entire sort of building kit in China, all of the lumber, all of everything, putting it into a shipping container and sending it to the site in the United States because it's actually cheaper than buying the stuff here right now. So I'd be interested if that truly is cheaper because I have a neighbor who's in shipping. I'm not really food distribution or something like that. So he was just telling me that prior to the pandemic, he was paying about $1,500 for per shipping container. Um, he said the price of that has gone up to 10 to 15 grand per yeah. container. It's crazy. If you look at the Baltic Dry Index, which is kind of the index used for global trade, uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it's up four or five times what it was a year ago. I mean, this is, a, this is an index. There was massive oversupply in shipping vessels for a decade. And now you actually can't get space on one. So, you know, here's my question back to inflation for a second, right? I, you know, I'm taking calls all day long here at the office. That's all anybody wants to talk about. And people talk about it as though they know what it is. And, they, you know, what do you think about inflation? And, and you know, my answer is, I, I don't know, stuff gets more expensive. What is inflation? I mean, at a very fundamental level, what is it? A monetary yeah. phenomenon? Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of a nebulous description. What What is it? It's a, it's a supply-demand imbalance, effectively, if you think about it this way. I mean, everything in economics goes down to supply and demand, right? So if you look at the demand side, the demand for goods and services is rising. As I mentioned, you've got people going out of their houses for the first time in, the, in a year. They've got a ton of money in their bank accounts. The government's sending checks for fun these days. So that there's, this, there's this pent-up demand for stuff. And then on top of it, if you then go and say, okay, the existing supply of that stuff, we're just going to basically not eliminate, but drop down dramatically based off of supply chain disruptions. You know, we talked a lot about at times, you know, think about, you know, copper is a good example. We're seeing some inflation in copper. Primary reason for that is because where they mine copper, typically in Chile and places like Indonesia, they're not mining copper because people aren't going to work. So you've got these, these supply chain problems right now that are happening. 
Uh, and if you if you listen to the federal government, they're talking, well, they're, they're, they're short term. Well, they might be short term, but they're still happening. So again, rising demand, falling supply, that causes prices to rise. And that's effectively what's going on right now. I mean, does the government make some move? I mean, it, they, like you said, they're, they're, they're pumping the economy full of money. They're, they're paying people not to work. I mean, is there something the government does to try to sort of stem this? Yeah, I mean that's that's the million dollar question. I mean, you you've got such strong government support on they're calling it stimulus, but I think that's debatable at this point. I think the government at some point is going to start reducing these unemployment benefits and a lot of the you know quote unquote checks in the mail that have been going out. Uh, and I think it's a large portion of that is going to be because there's no justification for it at some point. Even even with Democrats in office, I, you got to think at some point they're saying, okay, look, people have got to get back to work. I mean, look what's going on. Chipotle, I think, was in the news yesterday. They're talking about giving out two, three hundred dollar bonuses. There's a brewery somewhere I forgot where I'm probably butchering this story, but uh, or it's a restaurant on the beach somewhere that's offering um, a, as a hiring bonus a free case of like IPA to. Uh, to, to people that want to work. I mean, the, the, all this, uh, UBS is, I think, offering $40,000 bonuses to, to junior bankers. And all these stories are out there right now because you can't get people to show up to work because they don't have to. And I think that does end. And once that ends, I do think that will, that will cause or, or alleviate some of the pressures we're seeing. But also, too, look, th- I mean, some of the supply chain problems are certainly due to COVID. There's no question. But a lot of them are more systemic in nature. You know, you, you're dealing with supply chain issues because pe- companies were not reinvesting back in their supply chains for a very long time. You know, how many? How, I don't even pay attention to the semiconductor industry. What's going on right now? But uh, cars can't come off the line right now because they can't get semiconductors in cars. Uh, and then you had a, a semiconductor plant catch on fire like a month or two ago. Semiconductor plants catch on fire because of bad maintenance. All right. That's just one example of a situation where supply chains have been disrupted. Yes, because we're, we're having you know, these transitory issues, but some of them are longer term in nature. So until we actually fix a lot of these, we're going to be kind of stuck in this environment. And I do think the infrastructure spending that the government's talking about, as long as they spend it properly, could alleviate some of this. But who knows how long it'll take to get into the system. How big of a factor is it when people literally just capitalize on the circumstances, right? All of a sudden, there's inflation. So let's just jack up the prices of stuff because people will chalk up to inflation. I mean, I got to assume that that's a factor that plays into it. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, think about it. If you're, if you're <laughs> I'll just use an example. Let's say you run a coffee shop, right? And obviously coffee's gone up a little bit, but I mean, you can, you have every excuse in the world to raise your prices right now, whether they're going up or not. You know, we, right. we like to invest in equities right now because you can, you can protect your margin. If your car costs go up, you just raise your prices, you protect your margin. But then, you know, Everybody else is going to do the same thing because it's a herd mentality. You're totally right. But I, like, it's, I remember, it's a challenge to raise prices on anything, right? I mean, you, you, especially something like coffee, something that somebody goes in and gets every single day. They know the price. They know that their Starbucks coffee is going to be $3.19 every day. The second it's $3.30, it's an $0.11 cents hike. And, and you notice it right out of the gate. So it's a challenge to make that change. But if I'm forced to make that change because, of, because it's, it's challenging to get beans or whatever the, the reason is, I mean, if I have to raise it to to three thirty, I might as well just raise it to three thirty five at that point, right? I mean, I I've already taken on the the challenge of having to raise the price. I might as well get an extra five cents out of the deal, which is it's huge. Well, plus when the circumstances change, it's not like the prices drop. It's like exactly, oh, it, it just sets a new level, and yep. things are just from that point forward that much more expensive. And it happens with individual products from time to time too, right? It, I remember, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself, but like I remember jeans. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid. You know, there, there was there was Levi's and and Wranglers and 
you know, whatever. And they were like three bucks a pair. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it was because designer jeans came out, but all of a sudden jeans, you know, went from three bucks a pair to like 80 bucks a pair. And like all jeans, the same ones that were three bucks a pair six months earlier were 80 bucks a pair. And it just, it was almost like all of the, the jean manufacturers conspired to just decide to jack up the prices to 80 bucks. And people just accepted it and they never dropped. Now jeans are 200 bucks a pair. If you're lucky. With holes in them. Yeah. I was thinking the same yeah. thing about Chuck Taylors. I remember being in high school, you could buy a pair of Chuck Taylors for eight bucks. Now, good luck finding a pair under 80 bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can, I think they're, I think the, the regular basic Chuck Taylors are $99 a pair, right? All the while, you got to be thinking that the cost of producing these goods has come down dramatically because of technology and innovation and whatnot. So, I mean, the margins on these on these products are, are through the roof these days. Well, I remember watching uh, an episode of, uh, what was the, the Trump show? The, uh, the Apprentice. Where, yeah. where like one of their challenges was selling some item. And I don't know what the item was, but, but one team priced whatever the thing was for like, you know, six bucks or something and, and went out and tried to sell like a, a zillion of them. And the other team priced, priced the same thing at like $189. I mean, some absurdly high number and won the thing because they sold a fraction of the number, but, but the price was so ridiculously high. And there was absolutely no reason to do it. They just, they just put the price on it and people don't even, they just, okay, I'll buy it. It's like that old radio. What was that radio? That Tivoli radio. Yeah, Tivoli radio. Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah, I always think about that thing too, right? That they used to sell that thing in uh, in kiosks in the malls for twenty nine bucks, and no one was buying them. And somebody bought the company and said, "Well, you know, we we have to create some illusion of exclusivity. Let's let's raise the the price to to two ninety nine. These things look pretty nice, and and we'll put them out there as a as a luxury radio. And all of a sudden, they took off. Same stupid radio. They were selling for twenty nine bucks. Their production costs didn't go up. Well, think about the idea of pricing in and of itself. Like, how do you price a good? You know, Mike, you've run a business before. I mean, how do you you, you price something? It's it's as arbitrary of an idea as you can imagine, and you kind of guess on it, right? But if you have a situation where everybody's raising raising the prices, as a good capitalist, I mean, how do you sit there and say, no, we're going to keep our prices low, unless you're maybe Costco? It's like the only example I could think of. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I guess, you know, what do you do about it as a consumer? Nothing. I mean, if, if the prices go up, you, you need the stuff, you, you pay the price. Yeah, those are consumers. Now think about it, the investor, right? Because this is where it becomes a real problem is that investing when inflation is high is a very challenging thing to do because, again, you want to sit in cash, you want to protect yourself. But you do that, as we talked about before, you lose money safely. And, uh, you know, going forward, I mean, yeah, sure, stocks can pass on some of the, uh, the cost increases to your, to your customers, but only some stocks can do that. To your point, Remy, earlier, you're talking about a, what's called elasticity of demand. Some companies can pass on the prices a lot easier than others. So you can't just say, okay, all the stocks or all the companies are going to do a great job at this because a lot of them, their consumers are going to say, you know what, I'm not going to pay this. So it does become a challenge going forward from an investor standpoint. Uh, but I think the most dangerous thing to do is to stay in cash. And um, and and if you and if you think about inflation too, the last thing I'll say is that inflation is what I, is what I call a very personal subject, right? My level of inflation is very different than let's say a retiree's level of inflation. I'm 44. I'm trying to you know get two kids through college in a couple of years, and I've got a completely different cost structure than somebody who has to worry about paying medical bills and other types of expenses in retirement. So. Uh, I, I think you just can't look at the headline numbers of inflation right now and think for a second that this is going to be broadly applicable to everybody. It's going to be completely different based on your situation. So I think this is actually a great segue into the, the eighth item on your top 10 list of mistakes you've made as a professional investor, which is the world doesn't end all that often. 
Yeah, you know, that's the, 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 the idea behind this was, one, I think it sounds funny, but the, the, the real impetus behind this is that uh, if you look at the, the long-term history of returns, being an optimist has paid incredibly well because there really aren't that many periods of times where the pessimists actually made a lot of money or, or take a step back, we're actually right. But if you think about the psychology of a bull versus a bear, when you're bullish, when you're optimistic, when you think the world is going to be a better place going forward, people are very skeptical to hear that type of talk, right? It sounds like you're trying to sell something. Now, pessimism, on the other hand, pessimism is I'm trying to help you. There, I see something and I'm trying to keep you away from that danger. And psychologically, we place way more importance on that versus an optimist. So when you go out there and you see all this rhetoric and all this talk about how the world's going to end, how the market's going to crash, there's always a story out there like that. You, you got to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I'd say 99 out of 100 times, what, what that article is trying to get you to do is to not go short the market or, or short some other asset class. It's, it's to buy some newsletter, buy my book, buy a t-shirt, whatever it is. They're trying to get in your wallet. So that's why I added it to my list. But more importantly, it's something I always keep in mind is that when I talk to somebody who's always bearish, I got to ask myself, what are your incentives? In fact, you, always, you two always give me a hard time about quotes. I saw a great quote the other day from Brett Arends. He's a, he's a very, very strong financial writer. I've been reading for years. He said, this is a couple of years ago when he wrote this. Three simple rules will explain 99% of human behavior. One, most people don't think. Two, some people are just jerks. And three, everyone is selling something. Man, you got to send me this guy's this guy's uh, information. This is like my hero. Yeah, right. I mean, we're we're, we're focusing most on number three, but I, I think we could spend probably an entire episode talking about number one. Most people don't think. Man, I could spend my whole life talking about that. <laughs> Maybe that's our new list. We could abandon Tino's last two items on his list and talk about this list. I like this list better. Yeah, it is. It is amazing how few people in this world uh, like to think for themselves. I, you know, I've got two very young uh, girls and uh, four and two, and you know, it's weird not having any experience raising anybody. But I, you know, my number one focus with these girls is trying to get them to think on their own. I don't. I, they might not agree with me on everything, but that's that really is a challenge. Because uh, if you think about thinking, it's not easy. You know, you have to come up with your own ideas, weigh all the goods and the bads together. And uh, I, I think a lot of people just want to be told how to think. You know, you, you come across that a lot in, uh, in investing as well. You know, you see a newsletter, there's some great data. Oh, okay, this, is, this has got to be true. Well, it comes down to being lazy, I think, right? I mean, that's really what it yeah. is. It, 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 it takes some effort. It's, it's like we talk about, you know, Tino, you write stuff every week and, and we talk about how you know, like the content we send out to our investors is, is original content based on your research. And almost everybody else just reposts stuff. They find stuff on Kiplinger's or whatever. It's just reposted. It's easy. You know, it's, it's, you don't have to think about it. It's just easy to do. It takes effort to create what you create. Podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.